Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 147. We're recording on February 3rd. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. And today we are talking about some new-ish books that we love. We're doing our catch-up reading over here. (laughs) We are. There were so many books last year and there I just like... I needed to to read some of those and and be able to talk about it here. So I'm really excited to have that chat. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I feel really good about finally having read the two that I read because mm-hmm. they were like perpetually on the top of my TBR last year and I just never got to them. There are always some books, if not many. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> too true. Too true. Uh, so before we do that and our news, we have a an announcement. Uh, we are hiring. We're hiring a full stack web developer. This is a full time position. If you or somebody you know knows about technology and writing code and doing WordPress things, all the things I don't know about, uh, <laughs> you should check out our job listing. You can find it at riotnewmedia.com slash careers. And we have lots of benefits, really good benefits, honestly. Um, We have uh, lots of good people who work here, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the qualifications and stuff are listed. And yeah, we really would love to see applications from folks from underrepresented or marginalized communities. So send it out to people you know, maybe. Help us find a good person. Or apply yourself. That would be great. All right, so let's see. All right, let's do a sponsor break and then we'll get into the news. Today's episode is brought to you by With a Little Luck by Marissa Meyer. After being magically gifted with incredible luck, a boy discovers this gift just may be a curse when it comes to love in this new romantic comedy by number one New York Times bestselling author Marissa Meyer. With a sprinkle of magic, this sweet beachside romance is perfect for fans of To All the Boys I've Loved Before and Love and Gelato, as well as anyone who has ever swooned over Marissa Meyer's beloved characters. It takes place in the same beach town as Marissa Meyer's previous rom-com, Instant Karma, but this time with Prudence's brother, Jude. So fans of Instant Karma will welcome familiar and new characters, but if you have not read that book, don't fret. New readers do not have to read the first book. So that's good. Pick this up for a sweet new romantic comedy. It's got a sprinkle of magic. It's got some beachside shenanigans. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to With a Little Luck by Marissa Meyer for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Random House, publishers of The Book of Love by Kelly Link. So The Book of Love is a long-awaited debut novel from a Pulitzer Prize finalist, a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, and the author of some amazing short story collections. It follows Laura, Daniel, and Mo, who one night find themselves in a high school classroom, which is not too special because they are teenagers, but get this, it happens almost a year after they disappeared and were presumed dead. And with them is their unremarkable music teacher who seems to know something about their disappearance and what brought them back. 
So desperate to reclaim their lives, the three agree to the terms their music teacher proposes. They will be given a series of magical tasks. While they undertake them, they may return to their families, but they can tell no one where they've been. But when other supernatural forces descend on their town, the stakes get even higher. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Random House, publishers of the Book of Love by Kelly Link for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, I'm going to kick us off with some... I've got two pieces of adaptation news, and one of them is a little sad, and one of them is happy. Mm. So I'm going to start with the sad one. <laughs> okay, fair it's enough. It's kind of sad. It's, it's mixed feelings, I guess, is the mm. thing. So we were talking and very excited about the Kindred adaptation. Uh, you know, we learned about it quite a while back, and now we heard from Tor.com and uh, Molly Templeton that FX is canceling Kindred. It's only had one season so far. Um, and I, I, we both read an article, Jen actually passed along an article from Tor.com that was talking a little bit about impressions of the series. <clears throat> and so I didn't end up watching it because I was like, I want to hear more about how this is going because it didn't give me, mm. it, it sort of dampened my enthusiasm. And I also heard from another friend of mine who had some similar uh critiques mm. about the series so it is canceled at fx um and it sounds like brandon jacobs jenkins who was behind the whole series and really had this brainchild of turning octavia butler's book into a longer series is shopping it around so this might not be the end for this series it might go on to um, a different network but that's like a huge question mark this is all very new news and it sounds like uh, it's hard to tell like this article doesn't get into exactly why fx canceled the series but having seen and heard some critiques um i i have a good guess as to why it sounded like the acting was mm. really great and there were some really excellent things about the series but there was maybe some murkiness with the storyline and it obviously wasn't following the book to a T because mm. it's a pretty short kindred is a short book um yeah and this is a long running it's it it was intended to be a long running series it had a big cliffhanger ending and so there were some some pretty big departures but I'm just I guess a little bit sad because I've been really excited about an Octavia Butler adaptation and I I was really hoping mm -hmm. for something amazing which, you know, that always comes with some possibility for disappointment. But there it is. That's what's happening. Yeah. I, Do you have any feelings? I haven't watched it yet, mostly because I am still struggling to watch heavier 
content, yeah. especially visually. Like I'm just starting to be able to read heavier books again, but like watching some of this stuff is still my I'm just not quite there yet emotionally in terms of like my fortitude mm-hmm. um and my reserves. So, you know, but I did also obviously, you know, I I was I sent you that article that I saw and then um, you know, I have heard the same things you have, so I was like, uh, I'm going to wait and then um and then yeah, now it's it's on the struggle bus. So I mean, I guess I'm trying to like I'm trying to silver lining this actually okay. because it's not it's not a great thing for, you know, Butler adaptations in general for the first one, at least the first one that I'm aware of, right? We haven't seen any other ones. I yet. cannot remember if there are others, so I think that's right. Yeah. So, but like the first one that we're like super aware of anyway, to have this kind of like mixed reception. Um, but I do hope that it opens the door to more adaptations of Butler stuff. So, you know, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens, I guess. Maybe it'll get picked up somewhere else. Maybe they'll take notes from what didn't go right with season one and do a great season two if they get picked up somewhere else. Like, you never know. So I'm apparently I'm trying to be on the hopeful bus today. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like so. it because I was coming in all bummed out and like, I yeah, can't watch this great. now because it's got a cliffhanger and I don't know if it's even right. going to have a next season. Like, yeah, it's a horrible thing to go into. But it's a bad I'm combo. Glad for the You're right. Lining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll take a silver lining. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I <laughs> so I I want to go to this this. It's sort of a follow up piece to something we talked about last year. Yeah. Um, where we discussed this company, Colossal, who are a de extinction company. We have an update about this. It's on Gizmodo, reported on by Isaac Schultz. This was the company that was being funded in part by the CIA. Um, who were like interested in bringing back the woolly mammoth, the dodo, and the Tasmanian tiger. So Colossal is restarting the process, or actually starting the process, of making these proxy species. Obviously, they can't like entirely 100% recreate any of these, but they're using the DNA that we do have of these extinct species plus DNA from, you know, modern relatives. So for the woolly mammoth, it's going to have elephant DNA, uh, etc. And their goal is to reintroduce them into their, you know, ecosystems to help balance out the species issues, but I just still am all kinds of question mark about this. Like, I think it's an admirable goal, but I feel really uncomfortable about it. Yeah, I my big thing and I know we talked some about this when we first came across uh, this project is that I think the thing that I ha- I'm struggling with is that, you know, some of the reason they're doing this is because they think it will help the natural environment mm-hmm. um, by reintroducing these proxies, not facsimiles into those environments. But it it assumes that or at least it, it has this unstated assumption to me that we are as a as humankind who were responsible for wiping out mm-hmm. two maybe all three of these species are suddenly better caretakers of the planet yeah. and that it won't just <laughs> like we aren't 
in the process of, you know, helping species become extinct as we like right. there are things we're doing today that are are encouraging and accelerating the extinction of animals and like how is this this is like a band-aid on a severed limb like mm -hmm. this isn't going to change the way we are treating the planet and the animals and the environment around us so how is this going to make any sort of impact it's like this big expensive project that i feel is really not going to do much by way of a meaningful positive impact on humanity and the planet but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> and then there's like the Jurassic Park, you know, sort of yep. scenario where we like have unwittingly unleashed hell on the world because we thought we were doing a good thing or or we thought we were going to play God, basically, is the the feeling I have about this. So I'm like super side eye. I again, like I get the admirable goal, but I don't really know. I just feel like we're headed right into a bad a bad case science fiction movie with this. So It is. I, we'll see. I totally have the Jurassic Park theme music in my head yes. after reading this. <laughs> right? So <laughs> not a good sign. Nope. <laughs> uh okay. Well, I my good adaptation news. It's very exciting. Uh there is an adaptation incoming. Long Division by K.S.A. Lehman uh, is going to have a series adaptation. It's in the works from Trevor Noah's Day Zero Productions. This is reported on by Deadline and Peter White. And I don't know if I have heard anything from Trevor Noah's new production studio. So this was like exciting first news for me. And I know K.S.A. Lehman's had a lot of there's been some struggles with the first two books mm -hmm. he published and he had to buy back the rights to Long Division. So it was like this long journey. So it's nice to see a great author with a great story see success in the form of an adaptation because that's always, I think, really huge news for authors and really exciting, especially if they are participating in the creation and it does sound like uh layman's writing the script for the pilot of this series and is also executive producing it alongside trevor noah and yeah this is a um for anybody unfamiliar with the story it's a sort of coming of age story with it's a story within a story so there's a book in the story and there's time travel involved and there are two different kids from two different timelines who are figuring some strange things out as happens in speculative fiction. And it involves the disappearance of a young girl and some different timeline weirdness. But such a talented writer and I'm just really happy for Layman and this adaptation, which is of course in early days. So we'll see when it comes out down the line. I was so excited to see this too. I've read this book. It is bananas <laughs> <laughs> in like the good way. 
but it really is sort of like a like head scratcher like what is happening here um in the best speculative way so i'm really excited to see layman getting some love for this book which as you said had a really troubled and frustrating uh, publication history. Yeah. So this is like a delightful update, I think, to that. And I am just like, how are they even going to do That's this? So thing. I'm glad that <laughs> Layman is involved because like, I really genuinely don't know how you would adapt this. And I'm really curious to see how they manage it. So like big, big, uh, big feels about this one in the good way. Yeah. Yeah. Super exciting. Uh, before we leave the realm of uh, adaptations, because I have one other sort of sideways story, should we do our quick shout out here to yes. Angela Bassett? Bassett? Yes, I never Bassett. know how to say her last name. I think name. it's Bassett. I've always pronounced Bassett. Bassett. Uh, yes, we should. Yeah. Yes. Quick shout out to Angela Bassett. I was so excited. The one and only um, CNN entertainment and lisa respers france reported on this um angela bassett has an oscar nomination for black panther wakanda forever for the best supporting actress category and this is a huge deal like bassett already got the golden was it golden globe i'm so bad with awards yeah same actual like <laughs> movies of the golden globe she won it and it was like a big first for marvel and now this is another first not only because she's a person of color a woman and a marvel actor this is a first nomination for all three in a performance for a performance in a comic book adaptation, which is like, wow, I, I couldn't be happier for her. And I'm so like, it makes a lot of sense that even if comic book adaptations have been snubbed in the past, like she had her performance was undeniable, mm -hmm. undeniably amazing, powerful, May, she made me want to cry and like, oh, yes, <laughs> I had so many feelings. So I just really wanted to give a shout out and say congrats and celebrate with everybody else. Yes. Disney's. Yes. Yeah. I did watch Wakanda Forever just like two nights ago. Oh, and cool. I like 100% someone was cutting onions in my household, <laughs> like at multiple points in this movie. I was just sobbing. Um, and oh. she like she's incredible as Ramonda. Ramonda has such an amazing role in Wakanda Forever. So I just this is all of the deserved as far as I am concerned. And it's time. Powerhouse. Yeah, now it's on Disney Plus. That's so right. You can watch if you it. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> yep. This is more uh, motivation. Yes, yes. <laughs> Do recommend. Uh, all right. So our last news story. We talk a lot about sci-fi, fantasy, and fashion because we're both like fascinated by it. And yes. I saw this story and I was like, "This is so interesting." <laughs> so this story comes to us from Petapixel, uh, reported on by Pesela Bandara, and it is about a new clothing line that will confuse AI camera like surveillance recognition software um, without covering your face. There's it's actually really interesting because the pandemic really highlighted this. Um, everybody who tried to unlock their iPhone 
just by holding it up to their face, like, couldn't when they were wearing a mask, right? Like, that yeah. doesn't work because facial recognition needs to see your face. But it turns out that covering your face is not the only way to confuse facial recognition and people recognition in software. So this company, uh, Capable, I guess is how I'm going to say that. It's I got like an so. underscore in the middle of it, but still. They've got knitwear. So, you know, pants, sweaters, uh, tops, and, and other things that will confuse cameras that are running uh, recognition software if they catch you on it and it doesn't have anything to do with your face. I will say these patterns are not ones I would like normally buy. <laughs> this is very loud for me anyway. <laughs> I feel like they're really Gen Z style. Like I could yeah. see this in Gen Z TikTok. Yes, I yes, I agree with you. They're also really expensive, y'all. Oh, like yeah. this is like starting at like two hundred and fifty dollars kind of situation. So, I will not be buying any of these anytime soon. But I do sort of love that somebody is like anti-surveillance, but make it fashion. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> That's so great. And it does feel like something out of a sci-fi novel. So here we are. It absolutely does. Like you could see some costume designer for a sci-fi movie coming mm -hmm. up with this idea as like a means of world building this futuristic place where, you know, there's uh, surveillance cameras everywhere and you just live in a surveillance state. It's just very very sci-fi feeling yeah and yeah. i i actually was reading about um and i can't remember the name of the venue and probably shouldn't guess at it but some venues i guess are now using facial recognition to escort out any lawyers who are working on litigation against the venues and this what? has happened a few times now in new york i think um is the main place it's happening at venues. And so in my head, I was like, well, it would be kind of fitting because, you know, fancy lawyers are probably the only people who could afford these right. sorts <laughs> of garments. And also yeah. it would be hilarious if you just saw somebody sitting in the crowd wearing one of these shirts at one of those venues and just knew right away, like, mm -hmm. I see what you're doing. Right. <laughs> Right. I see you. That so is amazing. Funny. It's a good point. Yeah. yeah. That's really funny. Wild. Wild. This is a great Love story. It. Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, on to, uh, on to our actual book picks. First, we'll do another sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye. Bone familiar Rosie spends most of her days in the Bone Forest, hiding her powers to avoid conscription by the Witch King's army. But when she saves the life of Princess Shaw, she's offered the chance to attend the prestigious school Witch Hall. And at Witch Hall, Rosie finds herself embroiled in political games she doesn't understand. Shaw wants Rosie as a partner to help lead the coming war. Meanwhile, all Rosie wants is to stay out of trouble. But she can't really deny her attraction to Shaw. So the question is... Will Rosie give in to her destiny or will the Bone Forest call her home once and for all? 
Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Sky is for all the magic school lovers. This immersive magic school is full of witches and familiars. It's also a queer normative fantasy world with a sapphic slow burn romance like we love. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Sky for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks, the fastest growing publisher in the world. So I have a new true crime story for you coming from New York Times bestselling author Casey Sherman, and it is titled Murder in Hollywood. So it follows Hollywood starlet Lana Turner, who was one of Tinseltown's most recognizable faces in the 40s and 50s, but her life behind the scenes was terrible. It was terribly dark. So she started dating this mobster. His name was Johnny Stampanato. He was a thug for West Coast mob boss Mickey Cohen. And that was the beginning of the end, basically. So one night in 1958, Lana tried to leave him. He predictably turned violent, but then there was a twist to this. Her daughter stepped in, trying to protect her mother, and ultimately killed him. So in this new book, Casey Sherman pulls back Tinseltown's Velvet Curtain to reveal a dark underbelly of celebrity. So make sure to pick up Murder in Hollywood by Casey Sherman to get to the bottom of that tea. And thanks again to Sourcebooks, the fastest growing publisher in the world, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so it's really funny, actually, Sharifa. I was looking at our respective picks and I was like, oh, I'm coming in hot with the heavy books this time around and you've got the cozy. That's so <laughs> funny. This is like a first in a long time. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's fine. I feel like I was saying, I'm finally like getting to the point where I can read a little heavier again. And um, I'm glad because I really, again, I really wanted to read these books. So my fantasy pick is Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson, which is the first in a new series, and which, let me tell you, the number of people who would not shut up about this book last (laughs) year, like, I felt like... Every time I turned around, somebody was like talking about it in a newsletter or like tweeting about it, posting about it, like talking about it on work Slack. Like it was everywhere. It was inescapable. And I can see why, having read it. It is um it is a grown-up. This is for grown-ups. Side note. I mean, you know, obviously teenagers like read whatever you want, but like this is an adult <laughs> fantasy trilogy uh, that follows a group of childhood friends who are now grown witches. And they are each in a very different position to the witchcrafting world of they're in London. Well, they're in England. There's like various points around. Um, the main headquarters are in London, I believe. But uh, but yes, so they're in England and Great Britain and um, and one of them is like the head of the official Her Majesty's Royal Coven, which is like you know, MI6, but witches. Um, And one of them has created a sort of uh, like their own intersectional, uh, inclusive coven diaspora, because as you might imagine, especially in Great Britain, like the powers that be are very like traditionally white, etc. Not a lot of folks of color in this um, situation. And uh, also very female focused and, um, 
and uh, not and very okay. Right here's where I get into trigger warnings. So this ah. this book gets dark, y'all. Um, there is animal death very early on in the book, just FYI. And there's also transphobia um, as well as graphic violence. There's some real turfy stuff going on in Her Majesty's Royal Coven officially. So uh, these friends have all, like, as I said, walked their own paths. And then a young warlock uh, who has, like, ridiculously strong capabilities and also is maybe the prophesied, like, doom child of the apocalypse Mm. um, is brought in. And they all have a very different relationship to that event. And things, like, get really intense really fast. So this is about, you know what it means to be a witch in the modern world. This is about queerness and um, acceptance or non-acceptance of that in various ways. This is about racism. This is about, like, all of these big deal issues and also, like, magic and explosions and, like, (laughs) rituals. And I just can't even. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, But it is really well done. And I... This book ends on a cliffhanger that had me screaming and throwing my book across the room. Like, I was shattered by the end of this book. And nobody told me. Nobody told me that that was going to happen to me. So, like, I am here to tell you that this is a great book. But if you can't do a shattering cliffhanger, wait until the next one comes out. Because it will have you screaming. Uh, (laughs) So, yes. That is Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson. That would destroy me. I'm just done in a space oh, man, for cliffhangers. <laughs> I was not, I really uh, wish somebody had told me. I was like, why did no one mention this? Everybody <laughs> wanted you to feel the same pain as they did. That's why. <laughs> That's like probably it. right. That's probably right. <laughs> Well, I'm going to keep us in witchy territory, and I know you've read this book, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana, and I was so, I did, you know, I make a lot of promises about wanting to read books after hearing about them on this show by way of you, and this was one where I was like, okay, I really could use like a comfort read, something I know is going to be cozy and warm my heart at the top of the year so that I start the year off like really excited to read again. And this was the perfect pick for that. So I'm really glad I followed through on that promise for once. And yeah, this was my first book of the year. And I listened to it on audiobook. It was such a good audiobook listen uh, for fellow audiobookers out there, narrated by Samara McLaren. So good. Uh, But this is a very British, very cozy book, but it also confronted some bigger issues like xenophobia and racism. And in particular, that subtle sort of racism, you know, the microaggressions and the dog whistles Mm -hmm. and just the general awfulness that can get missed, but of course not by black and brown people. And Mika Moon is an amazing main character who was endearing right from the start. Just my fave. And she is an Instagram witch and also secretly a real witch. And in the world in this book, 
Witches can only congregate in small numbers. They can only meet up infrequently. It's all very secret. They're not supposed to like let anybody in on the fact that there are witches out there and, you know, they have abilities because things have happened in the past that have made them very wary of letting people know about themselves. Um, and a lot of that history is shrouded. Mika doesn't even know all of the details. So uh, she lives in this world. She feels very lonely and solitary. And then she gets this message from a stranger. And she takes a leap, which, you know, stranger messages on Instagram. That's a pretty huge leap. But she has a feeling. <laughs> And that feeling and that leap land her at Nowhere House. And Nowhere House is this beautiful home. Like, I want to live in Nowhere House. It's a beautiful house on this large secluded property. And it happens to be the home of a few really interesting characters, including three young witches who are range in age. And these young witches are very much in need of an education. Nobody really knows about them. Mika's been let in on this secret. And their caregivers are kind of like, we have no idea what to do. We need your help. And they also need help with another challenge that they're facing in the very near future. So Mika finds herself with this really unexpected responsibility and because she is who she is, she takes it on. She takes on this challenge, training these untrained witches. Um, and there are also, there's this found uh, family element that, of course, I really love. All of the characters at Nowhere House are just like wonderful. They have their strange uh little personalities that Mika is getting used to but you know this is an opportunity to feel at home like she never has before and one of the people at Nowhere House is Jamie who's this grumpy really attractive untrusting librarian <laughs> <laughs> who is very protective um and doesn't know what to think about Mika right away but of course there's some attraction that's happening there's a lot of this delicious tension between jamie and mika and as you mentioned when you were talking about this book this is a a cozy book for adults so maybe don't play the audiobook on a road trip with the little ones because <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a healthy amount of cursing and some very sexy scenes so uh, I was definitely with my headphones on like, can anybody hear this? <laughs> <laughs> but I just loved everything about this book. And Nowhere House is on my list of fictional places I want to visit. It was just the magical atmosphere was perfect. And if this does become a series, I will be one very happy reader because I did not want the book to end. So that was, again, The Very Secret Society of Irregular Witches by Sangu Mandana. 
like all of the cosine. Yeah. Just <laughs> ugh, love that book so much. Uh, I reread it last year, oh, which really? I don't ever do. Or else I didn't do prior to this. This year I'm letting myself reread things when I can. Nice. But um, I did reread it last year because I was like, I just need to be back there again. It's, it's totally so worthy. I would do that too if I was a fast reader. Yes, it's good stuff. All right. Well, not in cozy news, <laughs> my sci-fi pick is Genesis of Misery by Neon Yang. And Yang is a must-read author for me. I have talked more than once about um, their novellas, and uh, I just love, love, love the strange worlds that Yang creates. And uh, I, so I knew I had to read The Genesis of Misery, especially... You know, the pitch is it's like queer Joan of Arc in space, Mm -hmm. which, you know, what? Like, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Obviously, I need to read it. Um, It does get dark, y'all. I will say that uh, content warning wise, it's got mention of child abuse and some role graphic violence uh, at multiple points in the story. It goes to dark places, but oh, wow, does it do it well. Um, It is about uh, Misery Nomaki, which is an amazing name. Side note, incredible name for a character. Um, Who is non-binary, uses she, they pronouns. And Misery's mother was convinced that Misery was going to become a saint, which in this world is like a thing that you have special powers um, and, you know, you are identifiably a saint. But Misery's mother also went mad and died from this thing that is called uh, void madness, which happens if you spend too much time in the depths of space. And so Misery is like, yeah, this is all a lie. And also Misery grows up on a very, like, poor disenfranchised planet she personally doesn't have many options you know becomes a thief and a con artist and is like very good at reading people but like very sure that one day they too will go mad just like their mother so you know not like a great thing but Mm -hmm. then they find themselves taken to the capital and people who like are in power are like, yeah, yeah, you're you're probably definitely a saint. And so Misery is like, well, I guess I can use this to my advantage. And everything spirals out from there. There's like space battles. There's betrayals. There's complicated romantic shenanigans. There's all kinds of stuff that happens. The action in this is amazing. Um, and I could, I mean, I was just turning pages so fast, y'all. Like, I was like, what on earth is going to happen next? I also think that this is a pretty solid comp for, uh, if you are obsessed with the Lock Tomb series by Tamsin oh. Mirakiti and the Ninth, etc. Because it does blend. There's, like, some stuff that's, like, pretty much magic and then a lot of science spy tech stuff. Um, and... Uh, there's a lot of like unapologetic, unremarkable queerness. There's um, just banana pants plot twists. And in much the same way that Muir is like, I am not going to explain any of this to you. 
Yang is like, yep, nope, you're never going to know why this is happening or what this means. Like, you just have to accept that it's happening, which I both love and find infuriating as a reader. Like, it's one of my, like, I love you and I hate you for doing this to me, author. Like, how dare you? But also, please continue. Um, I, as you said, if this were to become a series, I would be extremely happy because I have some big questions about stuff that happened that I'm like, will I ever find out what that was about? Uh, Like, maybe not, because this is, as far as I can tell, this is a standalone, but I'm really hoping that we get a sequel because I need more information (laughs) about this wild world that Yang has created. And I also really loved the way that the Joan of Arc parallels were handled as a history, like, buff. I was just like, oh, yes, this is excellent. (laughs) I appreciate this. So... I mean, it is a ride. It is not going to explain itself to you, and it is totally worth it. Uh, so again, that's The Genesis of Misery by Neon Yang. I had a feeling that was going to be a good one, and I'm so happy to hear <laughs> yeah. it is. <laughs> Woo, it's a lot. It's a lot. It sounds like it, but I'm here to ease our <laughs> landing <laughs> yes. with uh, another heartfelt, warming title, A Prayer for the Crown Shy by Becky Chambers. This is the the, the sixth, the second book in the Monk and Robot series. I wish there were six books out there because I'd read them all. Um, And yeah, I didn't even, I honestly didn't even realize that both of my picks today were comfort reads until like yesterday. But (laughs) it's funny because my more recent reads, like I read these, earlier in the year and my more recent reads have been all like horror and like really tense (laughs) mystery thriller but I was really happy to read this one it's been on my list of course it's been out for a minute uh, but I haven't been able to get to it and to be able to return to Penga and rejoin Dax and Mosscap who I love as they go on their journeys of discovery and soul searching And of course, I don't want to spoil too much about this book since it is the second in a series. Um, So I won't talk too much about like if you haven't read the ending of the first one, it's not like a cliffhanger or anything like that. But, you know, uh, I don't want to take away the joy of reading that first book for anybody and then getting to the second. But I'll give you an idea of what to expect. And that is, of course, more soul searching, philosophical queries, and of course, examples of what it looks like to be a great friend and a responsible member of the community, which is what I just love about these books. And I really love the world that Becky Chambers built um, and that I hope we as a society would be able to get to one day where we care for each other as much as the people in these books do. And I love like the ways in which, you know, payment systems are built because they're so different and interesting and it's very like anti-capitalism. And in the first book, we meet Dax, who is a tea monk, if you haven't read um, the first in the series. Dax is a tea monk who sets off to the abandoned wilds in search of purpose, and Mosscap is the robot she find they find there who has an unquenchable and earnest thirst for knowledge. And Dax and Mosscap make such a great duo. They're so different 
but they lend each other something I think they both need. And in the second book, their journey continues. Mosscap is on a quest to learn more about the world outside of the wilderness, and Dax is kind of in search of direction. And most of the coziness we got from the first book, in my opinion, came from Dax's amazing wagon, which is powered by their own legs. It's attached to a bike, which they pedal around, and it contains all their possessions, including the teas they brew and serve to their clientele who come to Dax to vent for a bit of peace and quiet. This is their monkish work to be there for people and to serve tea and to let them have that space, which I think is just an amazing, amazing idea that I wish existed in the real world. Um, and in the second book, we get even more coziness, but this time from the places Dax and Mosscap travel to, including a place that made me want to find my nearest hot spring. Like that scene was like <laughs> a moment of soothing in a couple pages. Uh, and Dax is navigating this unfamiliar role as a guide while Mosscap is getting quite the concentrated introduction to civilization uh, and being very enthusiastic about it, maybe a little bit to the chagrin of Dax. But, you know, I just, I think that the thing about these books is that I really love when I'm presented with philosophical quandaries in a really interesting and new way and when I'm kind of challenged to look at the world through fresh eyes and I think Mosscap is just like a great foil for making that happen because Mosscap is completely new to everything and Dax is also just a thoughtful sounding board and so between the two of them it's just like it creates this great mental space for thinking about the way we work and the way the world works and how we all work together um, that I think is just really satisfying on a deep level for me. So I hope we get many more of these novellas. I just love everything about them and they're super quick reads, but they pack so much. And I guess if there was one word I had to choose to describe the series, it's earnest. It's yes. very earnest yes. and very sweet. I just love it. So yeah, that was A Prayer for the Crown Shy, again by Becky Chambers. I mean, yeah, agree. I, I want to live in that world. I would like to be a tea monk. Yeah. When I retire, that's what I'll do. Great job, <laughs> Nobody Joyce. will know what I'm doing, but I'll do it anyway. <laughs> Show up in town that's with your plan. tea wagon. Yeah, with my tea wagon. Come and sit. Have a, I'll, I'll like haunt the farmer's markets. <laughs> People will be into it, I swear. I will happily be your first client. <laughs> okay, excellent. All right, well, that's our show for the day. Thanks, guys always for tuning in also thanks go out to our sound editor caitlin brame for making us sound great each and every episode if you would like more book recommendations heavy cozy whatever you can get those at bookriot.com you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen if you would like to email us with what you're reading your pet pictures theme suggestions feedback all of those things you can do that sff yeah at bookriot.com. Uh, if you would like to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pod, Podchaser, wherever, that helps other sci-fi and fantasy nerds find the show, so we super appreciate it. 
Um, and in between shows, Sharifa, where are you? I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Sign of Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. I am still in my Tumblr fort. Uh, you can find me there as Jen I-R-L, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.